It is showtime, baby. Here we go. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Oh, Here you go. Jeff Green. Oh, wow. Sorry. As this game is going on, he's feeling it, and you can see he's rising to the occasion. It's the T.C. Martin Show. Oh, awesome, baby, with a capital A. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. This is your captain, baby. Hey, come with me. The doctor is now in. Oh, uh, yes, hour number two right here. Nonstopsports.com coming your way as we continue on on this thunderous Thursday edition of the T.C. Martin Show. Again, the margarita tip. Can't get enough. Green Bay, Wisconsin. Margaritas, the best four cheese dip on the planet. My next guest, he's he's rolled through with this great state of Wisconsin. He's broadcasted games, you know, in Marquette, a few other places, maybe even Wisconsin. They're in Madison, but yes. Yeah, if, if it's food, we've got it covered for you as well, too. If it's college basketball, you know that we got it covered. And our good friend, the head coach, joins us now. The legend, as I like to call him, the one and only Pete Gillen from CBS Sports. Pete, what's going on, brother? Nothing much, TC. Great to be with you. I thought you forgot me. A lot of people forget me. You forget me better than most, but thanks for remembering to get me on. Great to be with you. Ladies and gentlemen, and just let's clarify for everyone uh, joining us just right now, this is Pete Gillen, and Pete Gillen is alive and well. That's right. He is still alive and well. No matter what Rex Chapman said going back to you know early last year, yes, Pete Gillen is kicking. He's alive. You're there, Pete. Not You are alive. Oh, yeah. He thought I was planted. A lot of people thought I was planted. They thought I was a witness protection. But no, I'm back. I'm vertical. Let's remember this. Now, I don't know if you knew this or not, Pete. Okay, so, uh, you know, when, you know, people were Googling this, all right, and, and, and on my computer today, Pete Gillen obituary came up. And I don't know why, but I think this is where Rex Chapman got confused. Pete A. Gillen died on October 27th, 2021. He was a retired painter, Pete. Just so you know, a retired painter. And that maybe I think that's who Rex Chapman got you confused with. But Pete J. Gillen, Pete J. Gillen, who we are talking to now, that's right, alive and well. Thank goodness. I'm going down hard, but I'm still vertical. I'm still hanging in. I got a couple of weeks left. My contract goes AM PM. They don't know if I'm going to make it. Stop that, my friend. Stop it. Oh, he's such a good sport. I don't know if that was me and people were talking about that. I don't know if I'd be offended, if I'd be upset, or I'd be. Oh, wait a minute. Is a writing on the wall here? I don't. I don't want to hear about about my own death. But Pete, what a great sport that that Pete always is. There he is. That's Pete and J. You got to roll with it, TC. It's a jungle out there, so you got to roll with it. Hey, as a Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five said back in the day, Pete, it's a jungle out there. Sometimes it makes you wonder how it keeps from going under. Ha, 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 ha. You remember that? You used to recruit those streets. Yeah, in Brooklyn, Bronx, and I Queens. Did. There you go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We used to recruit guys. Guys with no necks, and you know what I mean? Guys, <laughs> crooked guys. Yeah, We anybody. We take anybody with a pulse. We just say, just play good in the games. Pete, that's did, it. That was the rule. Did you ever recruit anyone uh, off off one of those, uh, you know, uh, street corners or playgrounds while they had a boombox on top of their shoulder? Did you, re- you were you were recruiting during the boombox era? Yeah, I did the boombox, but no, the boombox. If you play the boombox too much, no, forget about it. <laughs> Tell them uh, go get a job. No, we want we want a guy who's in the gym who stinks a little bit, who smells his hands dirty. We want a guy who's in the mud and the glue and bloody nose lane. Not you know one of those guys on the corner listening to music, chasing girls. There you go. All right, uh, Pete Gillen was on the call Saturday night at the pit in New Mexico, and UNLV upset. The Lobos in that contest, uh, UNLV found themselves down five in the first half, and they came storming back in the second half, Pete. Uh, again, you were on the call on that game. I- I'm curious, uh, what was your take about the Rebels? Because that's the first time you saw them in person this season. Exactly. Uh, I thought they were terrific. They hung tough, played outstanding defense. Uh, you know, their leader, Elijah Hawkless, was great, and it's over – 20 points during a game. He was averaging 16 coming in. He had like 24, 25. 
and they had a tremendous second half. Uh, they did a great job. And, uh, you know, uh, it, you know, I was really proud of them. They hung in there. McAfee, backup point guard, had 10 points in the first half. Transfer from West Virginia a couple of years ago was terrific. Rodriguez was very good. Gilbert stepped up. He slumped a little bit, as you know, in the beginning of the Mountain West play, but he had an excellent game. So uh, Walker was good. So it's a great win. I mean, a tough place to win. I mean, uh, you know, there was over 15,000 fans there, D.C., you know, so it was a great win for the Renner Rebels. You know, UNLV started off slow. I mean, they had a great non-conference, and then they opened the season at San Jose State, and they lost that game. And as we know, Mountain West Conference play, I mean, it's Air Force and San Jose State are, are, are the bottom feeders, so that didn't sit too well with them. And then they had a tough home opener in conference play against San Diego State. They played them tough, but they ended up losing, so they started off 0-2. And then I think, you know, some people thought, well, now they're going to this New Mexico team was ranked 21st in the country at the time, but UNLV you know, they beat them by seven, 84, 77, and there was a lot of positivity. So last night, Pete, I'm at the game and UNLV, uh, hosted Boise State and Boise State ran away from him in the second half. Boise State connected on 14 of 26 three pointers, uh, an incredible wow. shooting percentage for the Broncos last night. And I know you've seen the Broncos play, uh, as well too, but they shot over 50% from the field and UNLV just could not stop them. So now all of a sudden, Pete, which was looking like such a promising season here at UNLV with Kevin Kruger at the helm. Now all of a sudden they're one and three. Now granted, you know, three of those four teams that they faced early on, uh, they're, they're going to be tough outs in the Mountain West Conference Tournament, and they all could end up going to the NCAA Tournament, but uh, a tough break for the Rebels last night, losing to Boise State. Yeah, once again, Boise's very good. They lost a lot of guys, but uh, Leon Rice got to give him credit. He, he put the team back together again, and every game, TC, is a completely unique situation. Team gets hot from three-point land, you know what I mean, and they can knock you out, so that's what happened. Uh, they played a tough schedule, you know, in conference play early, but they can regroup. I mean, the game we did Saturday night, as you mentioned, I thought that was like a first round of the NCAA tournament. You know, New Mexico is very good, very talented. I think UNLV is vastly improved. Kevin Kruger is doing a great job. So I think they'll be fine. They just got to regroup now, you know, and try to go, you know, in the conference, try to, you know, put some big wins together, try to beat a San Diego State, you know, or come back and beat Boise if they played them again, you know. So the league is very good. Uh, you know, we got four teams in last year. This year's a chance again to get, you know, three or four teams in the big dance. Pete Gillen joins us, the former head coach, Xavier, Providence, and Virginia. Does a fantastic job as a CBS College basketball analyst. Pete, back to UNLV. You know, you've seen this program over the years, and you've seen the revolving door of coaches in recent years. What is your opinion and what is different with this UNLV team maybe in comparison to the UNLV teams that we've seen over the last five, six seasons? Well, they got five, you know, power five conference transfers, <clears throat> terrific players. So I think with the new uh, situation with the NIL and transfer portal, that helps UNLV. You know, it's a great city, great tradition. You know, fans are terrific when the team shows, you know, some real promise. So I, I think they're in great hands. Um, Kevin Kruger, I think, is an outstanding young coach. <clears throat> His dad, Lon Kruger, as you know, did a wonderful job here. So I think Kevin's going to do a great job. You know, I know the ceiling's very high from Jerry Tarkanian, uh, Lord of Mercy on him. He had an unbelievable career, Hall of Fame career. But I think, uh, you know, this team can do very well. There's more competition now with different sports, right, with football and everything else coming around. And, the, the you know, the ladies team from the WNBA, you help usher into the championship. <laughs> that, that was a big part of your success, you know. Uh, so you got to give a little bit of love to the running Rebels here. Yeah, yeah. Pete, did you? But, uh, you, you? I think they'll do well. I think yeah. they're going to be okay. So you mentioned Lon Kruger there, and Lon obviously one one of our favorites here, and uh, real happy for 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 Kevin, you know, to get this job. And I think Kevin's going to be fine. He's still learning, obviously. Takes a long time, uh, you know, to kind of you uh, learn to be a head coach. You had to have some matchups during the course of your coaching career against Lon Kruger. I'm guessing maybe you didn't, but if you can, you recall any matchups that you had against oh, yeah. Lon? Oh, yeah, we played them in NCAA tournament. When you were sleeping, I was working during the tournament, <laughs> and uh, we played them. He was at Kansas State, yeah. and I was at Xavier, and we had some great players. We had Tyrone Hill, yep. who was a lottery pick. We had Brian Grant, we had Brian Grant later, but we had uh, Derek Strong, who was another division. Brian Grant, NBA Sacramento Kings. I knew Brian when he was with the Kings. <laughs> yep, 
Yeah. Brian played for me for four years at yeah. Xavier. So we, we had a, a, you know, a, a terrific team and we were fortunate uh, to beat, you know, Kansas State and Long Kroger's team in the tournament. It was a good game. We won by seven or eight, but, uh, had a guy named Steve Henson, a terrific guard who wound up playing the NBA for a while. But yeah, Long was a tremendous defensive coach, uh, excellent, uh, you know, uh, educator and a terrific guy and, uh, does it the right way. So, you know, Kevin Kruger's son learned from one of the best. Uh, everybody that knew Lon Kruger really respected him and admired him. You know, you talked about that atmosphere at the pit, and when we had Kevin on the show yesterday, he said the exact same thing. And we remember that the pit at New Mexico, that was one of the greatest home court advantages as you can have. I mean, you call it the pit for a reason because, you know, you're, you're down there. But I know in the last few years, New Mexico hasn't had the best of teams, and I know the attendance hasn't been the same, but those people in Albuquerque really get behind their team. Talk a little bit about you know that environment that night, and talk about just some of the tough road environments out there in college basketball that, that you've been a part of yourself, whether as a broadcaster or as a coach. Well, good question. The pit is certainly one of the top five toughest uh, environments to play on the road. Uh, you know, I, I, I didn't do there as a coach, but as a, 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 an analyst for the CBS Sports Network, I've been there a number of times, and it's great. This was 15,000, over 15,200, the first sellout, you know, since uh, 14, 15. So it was a while. I had a sellout, as you mentioned. The teams were down for a couple of years, but now they're, they're back, and Richard Bettino's doing a wonderful job. So, uh, yeah, they're crazy. They're going nuts. Uh, you know, they have screaming, yelling. You can hardly hear yourself think, but so it's a great, great win for the Renner Rebels to, to win on the road and, you know, come back from a little adversity. They were down early. <clears throat> so that was great. Duke Cameron Indoor Stadium. I was there, you know, and uh, one time my first year, we were down 26. So they were screaming at me, you got to come back for the second half. You got to come back. He said, no, I understand. To my contract. I'll be back for the second <laughs> half. Uh, but Duke Cameron Indoor was this unbelievable place to play. Uh, Indiana uh, Assembly Hall. The coach there is an assistant with uh, Digger Phelps. Uh, when I was assistant at Notre Dame, that's a very tough place to play. Syracuse, you know, they, they carry a dome there. They get sometimes 31, 32,000. We coached there at Providence. We were fortunate to beat them there the first time the Friars ever won at the Carrier Dome. But uh, we, we were there. So those those are the sum of them. Uh, Dayton, where they have their first-round NCAA tournament, that's a, a, a great place to play. They get every every game, home almost every home game, they get 13,500. Uh, so those are, there's a lot of great places to play. Uh, but those are just some of Kansas. I never was in Kansas, believe it or not. That's the one place I haven't been, but that's a great place to play. So there's a lot of great home court environments, but the pit is certainly one of the tops. All right. Pete Gillen uh, joins us. Hey, Pete, you talked about, you know, being assistant. And, you know, before you were a head coach, you were an assistant. There's some great programs and great head coaches, Villanova, uh, Notre Dame, as we know, uh, you know, with, with Digger, Digger Phelps. But the one thing that I've always wanted to ask you about, you, and a lot of people probably don't know this. You started your career as an assistant at Hawaii, right? I mean, what was that yeah. like? And how did you, how did a guy like you end up at the University of Hawaii? It was unbelievable. I, I was, I worked at the five star basketball camp many yeah. years ago. <clears throat> I worked with Rick Patino. We became friends. And uh, a guy named Howie Garfinkel sadly passed away a number of years, but he's in the uh, Naismith Hall of Fame as a contributor. You know, he ran the camp, had great players there. He had Michael Jordan. He had, you know, tremendous players, uh, LeBron James and, you know, Chris Paul. And you go on and on and on, you know, Alonzo Mourning. So he recommended me to the uh, head coach there, Bruce O'Neill. Sadly, passed away a few years ago. And I got the job with Rick. He, Rick was there two years. Rick was, you know, I was there one. Unfortunately, after my first year, they threw us in the Pacific. He's doing a backstroke. Around a fish, biting my goalie. You know what I mean? I'm swimming and swimming. Patino got a job in 17 seconds. After we got fired, I got one up at BMI, Virginia Military. So, but it was a great atmosphere. We, we loved it there. I wish I would have stayed for a couple of years, but uh, uh, you know, I have a lot of suntan lotion because uh, it looks like somebody poured milk over me when I walked when I put on my gym shorts. You know, but uh, uh, we uh, it was great. People, you know, they they, uh, they like basketball. Football is really big out there. Uh, but uh, I loved Hawaii. It was a beautiful environment. And it was a fun one year, but swimming in the Pacific got me a little nervous. 
I mean, for an East Coast guy like yourself, I mean, that talk about culture change and shock. And again, you know, first year being an assistant at Hawaii, that that had to be uh, had to be great for. Him. I'm just wondering, did the young Pete Gillen, you know, were, were you just uh, the, the basketball junkie, or were you venturing off to luau's? Were you out there, you know, uh, you know, you know, you know, dancing with the the, the hula skirts <laughs> in front of uh, you know the ro- ro- rotisserie pigs on, on the beach? That's what uh-huh. I want to know. <laughs> I wish you would. I couldn't get lucky. I couldn't get a date. I was uh, <laughs> old for life with dates. No, I, I, uh, I was in the gym, you know, studying my game, you know, notes. And oh, for life. Oh, for life. Listen to that. That's a, that's a, that's a bad shooting percentage, Pete. <laughs> I, know, I know. I look like I hit with a shovel. You know what I mean? <laughs> my wife put me in a transfer portal, but nobody picked me up. Oh! I'm back. But, I'm... <laughs> so, <laughs> but everybody's in a transfer portal. Yeah. You see, I was in, she changed the locks every third day. So I got a locksmith on call. He's on my speed dial. They changed the locks. So I got back in my house. Now my wife's great. She puts up with me, mm. but it was wonderful. Uh, we had, Rick Patino's a great coach and we, you know, we, we enjoyed it, but unfortunately it didn't work out. So, uh, but I, I love my one year there in Hawaii and uh, great people there. Country's beautiful. You know, the state is, you know, the pictures don't do it justice. You have to see it live and in person, and hopefully you've been there. But it's, it's a beautiful place. There it is. And there's Pete Gillen, ladies and gentlemen, singing with Don, Don Ho right now. There he is. Tiny Bubbles. Yeah, I was there. Don Ho. Tiny Bubbles on the wine. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right, Pete, let me ask you about uh, the current state here of college basketball. I'm looking at Kelvin Sampson and these Houston Cougars. I was actually on the campus uh, there and got a tour of the facility uh, back uh, um, late summer, early fall. And I, yep. I was, I was, I was shocked. I shouldn't say shocked. They got the Fertitta uh, complex there is, is very nice. Uh, it's, it's, it's not the largest there, but again, the Fertitta's obviously big here in Vegas. Also the family, you know, with the Rockets and, and they're big supporters of U of H there. But I've always liked this Houston team, uh, the last couple of years. Of course, we know Fai Slamma Jamma, Clyde Drexler, Akeem Olajuwon, you know, uh, those, those, uh, those guys way back in 83 or so. But Houston, I don't know if you've seen them in person or not yet, but do you feel Houston is the real deal? They're tremendous. I've not seen them in person, TC, but on TV a couple of times, yeah. Kelvin, I work with them, you know, at USA Basketball. We're both part of that. We're on the USA Basketball Committee that helps select the Goodwill Games teams or the World University Games teams or the Pan American Games team. Not the main one, but the, you know, the, the good yep. All American teams, not the top, top ones. But, uh, he's a great coach. He's very intense. Um, you know, he does an unbelievable job defensively. So yeah, they're, they're the real deal. I don't think there's one super team. I think there's some very good teams, and I think certainly I think Houston's the top team, but I don't think there's any team that's unbeatable right now. Who's the best team that you've seen so far this season, either in person or on television? Uh, in person or on television, okay. Good question. Uh, let me see. I, I think that I've seen – I haven't seen a lot of Houston, honestly, but I think right now I'd say Purdue. Purdue, you know, they got some young guys, but Edie's really tough inside – uh, Matt Payne is a tremendous coach. They got a couple of freshmen, uh, lawyers, one of them, you know, who's a, his brother plays for Davidson. Uh, so I, I think Purdue, because they got poised, they got a great big guy who is in the conversation for National Player of the Year, Edie. Uh, you know, I think they're the best, but there's, there's a lot of good ones. You know, there's a lot of uh, good teams. Connecticut was good, but they got knocked off. Other teams are good. They get knocked. So uh, I don't think there's one team that jumps out, you know, above everybody else, you know. So uh, I think. Uh, right now, I, I'd say Purdue, the best team I've seen, not in person, but I saw them on TV. A lot of parody out there this year, uh, year too, right, Pete? I mean, we've had a few different, you know, uh, number one teams. And again, you know, Gonzaga's not getting a whole bunch of love. They've, they've suffered a, a few losses. Uh, but we know that they're, they're back. They'll be strong, but it just seems like there is a lot of parody and, you know, predicting an NCAA tournament champion at this point in time right now. I mean, it could be one of anybody, right? You're exactly right. A lot of parity. That's the word. <clears throat> a lot of very good teams, but I don't think it's one elite, elite team. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, so uh, Houston is a great defensive team. They don't shoot it consistently well. They, you know, Sasser's a terrific player. They get an excellent freshman, but, but, uh, you know, I, I think they're very good. So there's a lot of good teams out there, you know, that are, you know, Kansas is knocking on the door again. They got a terrific team. Jalen Wilson's excellent. So Kansas can't be discounted. They're certainly, you know, a top five team. They could do it again. 
So, but I don't think there's any team that's a cut above a breed apart. Like on the radio business, you're a cut above a breed apart, TC. You know what I mean? There's nobody like you. But the, I don't think in hoops there's anybody that's elite. Kind words from uh, the legend Pete Gillen. You gotta love it, Pete. Kentucky. What is wrong with this team? They're ten and six right now. Uh, rumblings there. John Calipari. Maybe you know he he may move on. I don't know. I mean, we're used to the Kentucky teams that usually struggle at the beginning of the year because they had you know so many one and dones. But this Kentucky version uh, just does not seem to be anywhere close to the teams we're accustomed to seeing coming out of Lexington. <laughs> Yeah, 100% right. I was stunned they lost to South Carolina, TC. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, I did a South Carolina game, and they, they lost to GW by like 22, 23. And that, was, and that was not having Asia Wilson you know, play center uh, for the, the Lady Gamecocks. Let's don't forget that. We're talking about the men's team here. That's right. yeah. Exactly. It was the men's team. And, you know, they got a great freshman named uh, Gigi Jackson, who was one of the top five freshmen in the country. You know, for South Carolina, but I was stunned they beat Kentucky. I think it was in uh, in the bluegrass country, right? I think it was in uh, yes. Lexington. I'm not positive yes. on that, but I think so. Yeah. And uh, I was stunned that they beat them by three. So uh, hopefully, I like John. I know him a long time. Hopefully, he'll get it going. They got Tashibwe, the National Player of the Year last year. He's back, but uh, obviously, some of the young guns are not you know producing like they they thought they would. So we'll see. He can turn it around, but uh, SEC's tough. Alabama, Arkansas stuff, Mississippi State stuff. A lot of good teams in there, so uh, John's got to get it going quickly. All right, Pete Gillen uh, joins us. Pete, uh, you've been on the move. You're going everywhere as uh, more frequent flyer miles than anybody I know. Where's the next stop for you? I'm like scrambled eggs. I'm all over the place, DC. You just call me Pete Scramble. But next (laughs) week, I I have a little break now. I uh, had a game Tuesday. I had... uh, uh, VCU, Virginia Commonwealth at Loyola Chicago on Tuesday. Flew home, took me about 19 hours to get home because of, you know, the, you know, federal administration computer glitch, right? So, uh, I took a, a boat, a plane, a kayak, a, a canoe, a raft, and a helicopter to get home, but I got home. Uh, so I, I don't go until next week, next Thursday. I have BYU, uh, is playing at Santa Clara. And two days later, I got BYU at San Francisco. So I'm going out west. Be flying over Vegas. I'll wave to you. I don't know if you'll see me, but I'll wave. That's great. You're coming to the West Coast, and you are going to be going to War Memorial Gym in San Francisco. Is that what you're telling me? Uh, we got. Yeah. I, I got to hook you up with a big seven footer. Uh, you know, my dear friend, right. Big Bill Cartwright. I will make sure that uh, you guys connect. I'd love to. Well, I'm a Nick for a while, right? Yeah, of course, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. And you guys could go to dinner and exchange stories about me. There you go. Exactly. No, I'd love to meet Bill. I, I was a, a fan of his many years ago, and uh, yeah, I, I saw him on TV once. They showed him. He goes to a bunch of the games, I think. So uh, he's there. Yeah, love to see yeah him. no, he's uh, he's he's involved uh, very heavily with the basketball program there. So uh, he's there. So yeah, I'll, I'll make sure that uh, that I that I connect you guys because I I know that uh, he would he would love to to meet you as well too. So there you go. Yeah, two two of our regular our, our guests there, Pete Gillen and the big seven footer, Big Bill Cartwright. Uh, always here on the show. So yeah, yeah, that's, that's great. Yeah. You're coming out to the West Coast and we got to get you to a UNLV game. You know, uh, Pete, you got to request to, to do the Mountain West tournament this year. Okay. That's got to be on, 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 on the it, bucket list. You know that. I'm like middle management or, or low management or no management. You yeah. know what I mean? So I, I, I wind up doing other stuff, but hey, you know, whatever. I'd love to do it, but, uh, you know, I, I don't have the juice. You know what I mean? I'm just, uh, just a poor guy with no money, no friends, no clothes. You know what I mean? So. <laughs> But for some reason, he's on the road all the time, and much to the uh, appreciation probably of his wife because he's not around the house uh, very much. Exactly. But uh, but he's the marriage is still together. We're married over forty years, but I've been home for seventeen. That's the only reason that uh, we're still together. There, but uh, you can catch uh, Pete Gillen on a, on a TV near you at least uh, you know two three times a week uh, doing all these games. So we appreciate you as always, my friend. I appreciate you taking the time today on one of your your off days. And you just got back from Chicago. I know you did VCU and Loyola, one of my favorite campuses, yep, one of my spots, the Ge- the Gentile Center, which I love. Pete, I was hoping you'd bring me back a a Loyola sweatshirt. If you told me, I, I couldn't get on your show. They said, no, no, we want to get somebody important on. So I said, all right, talk to one of producers. <laughs> so, so I would, I would have. I was there. I, I, it was great. We saw Sister Jean. Yes. Got a picture of Sister Jean. I'm going to text you it. Yeah, please right? do. 103. Yes. 103 years old. God bless her. 
and myself, my partner, Carter Blackburn, who's a star, uh, we, we had a picture with her before the game. Sister Jean's great. Yep. She had a prayer before the game. She's wonderful. Yep. But I'll send you a picture. Yeah, it's a great campus right on Lake Michigan, right near there, and beautiful homes and uh, apartments there. So, yeah, we had a great time. And uh, Lil is rebuilding. They lost five of their top seven scorers yep. from last year, but they'll be fine. Drew Valentine's a young coach, and he's going to do a great job. More importantly, Pete, where did you eat in Chicago? I mean, you had to have a you had a dinner or lunch in Chicago. Where'd you go? We stayed at the hotel. We stayed at the JW Marriott. Okay, downtown, I know it. Yeah. Which is a very nice hotel. Yeah, and we ate up there at a Florentine restaurant. We we had a nice meal there. My partner and I. We had the uh, the night before. Then after the game, we had a little bite to eat. The game was at six o'clock uh, local time, so we had a little bite. So uh, it's a great restaurant, Florentine uh, restaurant at the JW Marriott Hotel, West <laughs> Adams Street, right that downtown. So, um, but yeah, we had a great time. And I love Chicago, wonderful city, a lot of nice people, you know, and uh, we had a good time. I love going back. All right, all right so, good. And we'll definitely give you a good restaurant recommendation or two uh, in San Francisco as well. So you, Yeah, definitely. You can count on that. Yeah, I've been, there you go. We don't yeah, me- I've been we don't mess around food plankton. with food, Pete. We, yeah, we, no, we don't we mess around. You know, that's a real deal. No, you know? you got to be fueled up for these games. Every... You know, you know, you're you're you're, you're on there going a mile a minute. You you got to be fueled up, as we know. Stay hydrated, my friend. Yeah, definitely. Two hours, very intense. Now, I, I I make coffee nervous sometimes when I talk. So you gotta, you gotta, you gotta be ready. I'm putting freaking coffee in my eyeballs. Stay focused. Uh, all right, my friend. I appreciate the time. Seriously, as always, uh, we'll talk to you more during the course of the season as we work our way towards the NCAA tournament. And uh, hey, maybe we can uh, we can gather in Houston, Final Four in Houston. I'm very excited. I'm planning on being there uh, for that. Pete, so there you go. Put that on the calendar. If your wife will give you a great. hall pass. Give me a hall pass. Hopefully we can be there and we'll hook up with you. It'll be fun. Thanks for having me on the show. TC, continue success. Take care, brother. Appreciate you. There he is. Pete Gillen, one of the best. Legendary. Uh, great co- coach back in the day. Xavier, Providence, Virginia, and uh, for many, many years now, doing a great job on CBS as well as the CBS Sports Network as the college basketball analyst. Yeah. Coming to the West Coast. And Pete would usually get maybe a game or two uh, at UNLV because he would do a lot of the Mount West uh, games. Again, he did UNLV at New Mexico last weekend. So um, uh, hopefully, maybe even he'll be here for the Mount West Conference Tournament. But uh, a great guy, fun guy, uh, one of my all-time favorites, uh, as you know. And I know our listeners love listening to Pete, too, because not only is he so in-depth with his uh, college basketball knowledge and breakdown, but... Hey, the guy's the king of the one-liners as well, too. All right, we come back. Scott Spritzer will join us. We start handicapping the super wildcard weekend. I do exactly what I want to do. It's It's the the Dr. T.C. Martin. You say I'm insane? I say thank you very much. The doctor is now in. the Westgate of Las Vegas tomorrow. The world-famous Superbook. Best bets and a whole lot more. Jay Schrader in the house. The quarterback rehabbing from his knee surgery. He's ready to go. We analyze that. And then, oh, Saturday night, here we go. George Clinton, Parliament, Funkadelic. I hope they. I hope George plays this one. A little quickie? I love a little quickie. Who doesn't love a little quickie? Mm, especially when it comes to food. I'm talking about food, Nub Chuck. That's what I'm talking about here. All right. Our next guest knows a thing or two about food and George Clinton, Parliament, Funkadelic, Brides of Funkenstein, you name it. He is Scott Spritzer. What is going on, my man? Put a little grub in that concert. We've got a perfect combination. Yeah, right? <laughs> George Clinton and food. There you go. <laughs> hey, man, I'm telling you, Scott, I don't know when, uh, if you've been to the Westgate uh, recently. Well, I've been following some of my food posts, but very good food at the Westgate. Very good food. So think about that there, you know, Saturday night. I've been to the book recently, but we used to go to Benihana's quite a bit. So yeah, yeah I mean, there you go. There you go. There you go. I'm making a. I've never been to Benihana's, but uh, I'm I'm being forced. Well, I shouldn't say forced. That's not right. Uh, my daughter's birthday is coming up, and uh, that, that's like her favorite 
uh, hadn't been. So yeah, I'll, I'll be uh, I'll be diving into that here in a few weeks. So, so she's a sushi person and you're not. Oh, exactly. Yeah, you guys get along so well. <laughs> so well. Good to see there's some class in that family. Thank I mean, you. You, and, you know. <laughs> yeah, I knew that was coming. That's it. Good thing there was no, uh, you know, you know, drum there from Nunchuck on that one. Thank yeah, you. You could always have them just throw a steak on the. Uh, uh, on the on the on the grill, and you'll be just fine. You know, that's steak, what my daughter said. Veggies, she you know. said the exact same thing. Dad, you know you can get a steak there, and I go, really? Okay, well, yeah, yeah. Let's let's... chop it up for you on the grill, and and you could sit there and eat your steak and whatever vegetable of your choice, and she could pick out like I do on sushi and sashimi all night. <laughs> well, you're the king of sushi and sashimi. I mean, you are the king. <laughs> there's no, there's no. I don't think anybody eats more of that than you do. But uh, hey. You know, I'm about ready to have my mercury levels tested, by the way. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good stuff. All right. So we got NFL playoffs. Wild card weekend is here. Super wild card weekend, whatever you want to call it. All I know this, is, Scott, that we've got 12 teams. We've got six games, uh, three days. All right. So we got two on Saturday, three on Sunday, and then the Sunday, uh, the Monday night standalone game. Are you a fan? Of the of this Monday night football, especially once we get into the playoffs here, I mean, I got a feeling that the winner of this game may be at some sort of little bit of a disadvantage uh, for the next round. Yeah, they might be at a disadvantage, but I love it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> as, yeah. as both a better and just a fan, you know, I, I love having the three days split up like that in a Monday night football game in the wild card round. So, you know, as a player, I might kind of stink, you know, when you got to move on and, and you don't have an extra day of rest or whatever, but. Uh, as far as just the fan standpoint, I love it. You know, I, I don't mind if they play four days a week. I mean, I'm all for it. Let's throw a Friday night game in there, too, in the mix next year. Right. But, um, but, yeah, no, it doesn't bother me at all. And, again, as far as handicapping is concerned, there hasn't been enough of it to get a real gauge off of what happens in the second week of the playoffs to a team that played on Monday night. So every one of these games is a rematch. And it's I've never, ever re- recall this ever happening. Probably hasn't. Uh, you may know that uh, better than me, though. But, you know, we've got divisional opponents that are squaring off. So this will be the third time. And you have that, in effect, with Seattle and San Francisco, Miami and Buffalo, and Baltimore and Cincinnati. And then even, you know, the other games. It's 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 rematch city with Dallas, Tampa Bay, and Jacksonville, and um, the Chargers, and the Giants, and, and the Vikings. So does that... Easier to handicap? Do, how much emphasis do you look into those past matchups when now these guys are playing for you know the most important game of the year? For me, it kind of depends on when they played each other. You know, if it was like in September, like with the Chargers and Jaguars played, it doesn't mean as much as let's say the Giants and the Vikings who played on Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. So, kind of depends on what part of the season the teams played each other. You know, if one team was is playing much, much better football over the last four weeks as opposed to maybe the first four or five weeks when they might have met their opponent and vice versa, a team that's playing badly now compared to what they were playing early in the season if they met then. So it, it does. It depends on the, the portion of the season, how a team is playing now compared to then. If you have the same quarterback playing now in a matchup that you had in the early season matchup, if an injury has taken its toll on a team when it comes to a key player like a quarterback or a wide receiver, all that goes into the mix, but, you know, there wasn't, I mean, there was one thing you could glean and we could talk about it in a bit from that early season Chargers Jaguars matchup. And really only one thing, maybe one and a half things. And that's because the Chargers have been bad on run defense all season long. So maybe you can kind of throw that into the mix from that September game when you're doing your handicapping. But as far as everything else, man, it's like, it's all about how they've done if they played recently more than anything else. The crazy thing about, I think this year's wild card is there's, so many quarterbacking question marks in every freaking game almost. I mean, maybe not Seattle, San Francisco, Chargers, and the Jags, but, you know, you got the situation with Miami where the top two quarterbacks are out. Skylar Thompson's going to play. You know, you've got Baltimore with Lamar Jackson, who's missed a bunch of time this year, hasn't practiced uh, this entire season. I mean, excuse me, this entire week. So, so many quarterback situations that come into the mix here. And listen, nothing against Geno Smith, but we're used to seeing like Aaron Rodgers in this part of the postseason. Not Geno Smith, who couldn't find a starting job until this year. You know, and it's basically because they had nobody else to fit in that spot when Russell Wilson left for Denver. So, so many question marks that we don't normally have 
in the opening week of the playoffs. All right, let's uh, handicap these things and let's go game by game, Scott. Let's start off with Saturday afternoon, one thirty. It is an NFC matchup again for the third time, San Francisco and Seattle. The Niners won both of the previous meetings here. And it's Geno Smith and Brock Purdy. I know that this line is 10. I don't know if there's a lot of people that are going to be biting on, on Seattle here. Again, Seattle, they were clinging, you know, to life to get into this thing. Um, you know, doinking a field goal at the end of regulation. They beat the Rams, you know, by three, getting the field goal in overtime here. It's been a Seattle team, as we know, that's really kind of overachieved to a certain degree. And Geno Smith is, is played pretty well. Uh, when you look at this game, is it San Francisco or nothing for you, or can you make a case for Seattle? Yeah, the number's not too far off of what it was when these teams met in San Francisco earlier this season. It was eight and a half. Now it's basically nine and a half with a couple of tens still out there. And of course, there's that, you know, home wild card double digit favorite thingy that, you know, says these home teams are on a nine and oh spread run when they're favored by doubles at home in the wild card round. And again, San Francisco and some shops are still laying 10. Uh, the, the thing that keeps me off of this game, and I lean towards San Francisco, I also kind of lean towards uh, the over, which is sitting at 42. But the thing that I was concerned about the most is Brock Purdy, who, you know, they always say when you first jump into the league, you got preseason football, which is quicker for the quarterback to have to deal with than what he dealt with in college, no matter what level he played in college, whether it be for the Alabama or Georgia or FCS, it's quicker in preseason NFL. Then they say the regular season's quicker than the preseason, and then the postseason is another story, a whole different level than what they've seen in preseason or NFL that rookie year, if they're lucky enough uh, to get into postseason play. And so I'm interested to see how Brock Purdy reacts to an even quicker game. You know, Seattle's defense maybe not the greatest, but they're going to be playing at a faster pace than they were, and we know what Purdy wants to do. A rare shot deep downfield with a whole lot of screens to guys like Kittle, to passes out of the backfield, maybe Debo Samuel cutting across the middle, things like that. That's what he wants to do. And Seattle has seen it already once out of Brock Purdy. And if they get a chance to you know, go up against him here with a guy like Pete Carroll and his staff, maybe they have enough of know-how to be able to make Purdy adjust on the fly in this game and do things he's not used to. I just don't think Seattle has the firepower. I give a ton of credit to Geno Smith. I wasn't a Geno Smith fan before this season. In the first half of the year, he was really playing well, and and his team was too. I had Seattle, like a lot of people, TC, before the season as one of the bottom six teams in the NFL, six to eight teams. So, you know, that first few weeks of the season, they surprised a lot of people. If you made me play this game, I would take the Niners. I think their defensive strength at another notch with the speed factor is going to be too much for Geno and Seattle to hang around eventually. But again, man, having a rookie quarterback in Brock Purdy starting his first playoff game is enough to keep me from laying those points. You know, it's funny you say that because I love this 49er team and I love all aspects. I love what they do offensively. I love the defense. I love the way, you know, they move Debo Samuel around and Kittle and these guys. I mean, it's amazing. But like you, I'm just thinking, okay, there's got to be a point in time when Brock Purdy, I don't want to say he explodes here or you know, implodes, you know, but I, this is really a good situation for Purdy, isn't it? Like you said, I mean, he hasn't been a starter the entire season, but now he's going to his first playoff game. So obviously there's got to be jitters. He has the advantage of playing at home and he has the advantage of playing a very familiar opponent that he has faced. So I'm thinking that, okay, this is probably not going to be the week where you have that possibility of Purdy imploding because he knows the Seattle defense. And let's be honest, and I think you said it yourself, I mean, the Seattle defense really is not that good. So I think... You know, if you're, if you like the Niners here, you can probably get away with laying the double digits, but maybe as they move on, then you have to worry a little bit more about Purdy. At least that's my yeah. train of thought here. And the good thing for Purdy is, is that you can run all day on the Seattle defense. Yeah. And so he can hand the ball off. He's got a couple of different running backs, obviously. You've got, you know, McCaffrey that you can hang the ball, hand the ball off to plenty of times, 15, 17 times. You got, you know, Elijah Mitchell. And I, I, I saw one, um, right up on this, and I thought it was pretty good. It's not my own original play, but it was listed uh, that, uh, and this was as of this morning, I don't know if it's changed, but there was a prop on Christian McCaffrey over under rushing yards of 73 and a half, and it was basically around even money. And the person who wrote this up 
mentioned that Elijah Mitchell, when he's been on the field or been able to play along with McCaffrey, McCaffrey's numbers go way down rushing yards. Uh, and, and I think that's a good situation if you want to play this prop under 73 and a half because McCaffrey's last four rushing yardage totals with Mitchell on the field were all 45 yards or less rushing. They don't have to rely on him as much carrying the football when Mitchell is healthy, which he is. So I thought that was a really good prop. And I saw the write-up earlier today, and I thought, you know, that's not a bad idea because San Francisco can still win this game if you think they're going to win it by a a big margin. They're going to win this game by 17, 21 points, and McCaffrey only runs the ball for 40 yards. So not a bad prop there. There it is, and we know McCaffrey will be busy out of the backfield, and that prop is only rushing yards as well, too. So uh, let's go to the the nightcap, Scott, Chargers and Jacksonville. And this is a game that we've actually seen significant line movement. Uh, Jacksonville actually opened the favorite here, and now it's Chargers up to two and in some places even two and a half and maybe even gets to three. Let me ask you, do you think that we've seen this line movement within the last 24 to 36 hours because there's reports out there that Trevor Lawrence has his toe injury because he's on the injury report now? Or is maybe revenge factor playing into this? Because let's remember, Jacksonville blasted the Chargers 38-10, to even though that game was really close uh, until the end of the third quarter, and that's when Jacksonville kind of, uh, you know, uh, turned around. And like you mentioned, you know, that was a long time ago as well. Why do you think we've seen the line move here? Yeah, it might have a little bit to do with, with you know, obviously, with Trevor Lawrence. If he is able to go in this game, and he has been limited in practice, but that goes back several weeks that he's been limited in practice, and he has yet to miss any playing time, you know, with that toe injury. So I know they're listing him as, you know, having this problem with the toe. But again, and that just came out, what, in the last couple of hours, I believe. Uh, but again, it's, you know, we've known for at least three or four games that he's been playing on a, you know, kind of a bad toe. And yet he's still been able to play. So for that reason, I'm going to say that he still is able to go. He still is, is able to be effective. But I'm also going to mention that people might want to wait on this play just to see if it's really that bad or not. Uh, the total hasn't moved at all, basically. It's been 47 and a half, and it never really moved with the news that came out that, you know, oh boy, he's questionable. It even went up to 47 and a half a couple of days ago, and it's never moved. If he's able to play, and again, you can wait on this. It's not going to go crazy. If it gets to 48, then you know he's probably going to play, and you might want to jump on it. I like the over more than anything else if he's fine. Uh, if you remember back, way back in September, Jacksonville hung 38 points on the Chargers. I don't know if they'll get 38, but I expect them to score a decent amount of points again. And the only thing that I really think will change much in this meeting is that the Chargers output will be better after scoring just 10 points in that loss. And the Chargers want to pass. Herbert threw for nearly 300 yards in that first meeting despite only scoring 10 points. They're third in the NFL in passing yards per game. The Jags are 28th in passing yards allowed. On the flip side, the Jags want to run the football. They ran for 151 yards in the first meeting. James Robinson gained 100 yards on 5.9 per carry. Then you got Travis Etienne Jr. He's run for over 1,100 yards, 5 yards per carry. And the Chargers have allowed the fourth most rushing yards per game in the league on a league-high 5.4 yards per carry. If you look at the Chargers' last two games, in fact, seventeen and eight, week 17 and 18, the featured backs they faced were Cam Akers and Latavius Murray. Those two combined for 226 yards, on almost seven yards per carry. So the point is that both defenses are bad in the areas where the two offenses excel or exploit the most. Then you factor in a little angle here, TC, that I'm going to throw at you. Trevor Lawrence is hitting 66.3% of his passes this year. The Chargers, I went back in the last 26 times that they faced an offense that completes at least 64% of its passes on the season. They've given up 28 points per game the last 26 times on average. So if Trevor is healthy, and again, folks can wait on this, although again, if it gets to 48, I would hammer before it goes up anymore. I think the game goes over the total weather permitting. All I've seen about the weather so far is that it's going to be colder than normal in Jacksonville, but by the time this game kicks off, the winds will be minimal, no precipitation, and I really think over 47.5 is the way to go. All right, a good point. Uh, Scott Spritzer, Doc Sports. You can go to DocSports.com and uh, subscribe to Scott's uh, plays there. All right, let's talk about Sunday. we got three games. It starts with Miami and Buffalo, and, of course, uh, the Bills. This line just keeps going up and up and up. Obviously, no Tua, uh, Teddy Bridgewater, 
you know, uh, questionable uh, in this game as well, too. And then, uh, you know, definitely looks like we're going to get uh, uh, Skylar Thompson here. So Buffalo, the number now, Scott, is 13, keeps rising and rising. Does anyone want any part of Miami? I, I'm not going to play this game. I decided to pass. And, you know, again, I mentioned how good the home teams have done in the wild card round uh, when favored by double digits. But there's no way I'm taking Skylar Thompson. I mean, if you've seen what he did, you know, 4.9 yards per pass attempt, you know, in the big win over the Jets, things like that. Um, it's a situation where I cannot back him as a dog. At the same time, I just don't feel like Lane having to win basically by more than two touchdowns, you know, with where this line sits right now. And I know the Bills scored 32 when they played Miami a few weeks ago. I know they've scored 35 in the last two games. Um, and the offense is incredible at times. I just don't want to lay that big of a price. At the same time, there is no way, and I'll keep it simple, no way I'm backing Skylar Thompson. Okay. One touchdown, three picks in the short. Put it this way. He's no Brock Purdy right now in his rookie season, <laughs> and uh, it was enough for me to stay off of it. I think the books have priced it enough now to where I just can't jump on Buffalo. I see one book I'm looking at about 25 on my line service, and I see one book that's back up to 14 mm. and reporting 86% of the tickets on the bills. I can't argue with the public plunking their money down on Buffalo. I just don't want to do it myself. All right. Uh, maybe a little teaser, Scott, but Buffalo down? No. No? I, don't, I, I mean, you could, but I'm all about, you know, the math says you tease down to one. You know, right, right, You tease six right. and a half and seven down. You don't tease. I mean, generally speaking, it doesn't mean it's going to happen here. If you're talking about a 13-point spread, the team's either going to blow out the team or they're not. You know, so it totally destroys the math on, on teasing. Again, it doesn't mean they can't win by – eight points here or 10 points here and you catch that teaser, but I'm just going on, you know, the history of betting teasers in the NFL. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, you can't get, if you find a 13, you can get it underneath a touchdown, you know, possibly uh, to look at that. And we know a lot of people will be doing that. Uh, Giants and, and Vikings, Scott, for me, this is the, the toughest game to handicap uh, because of both teams' inconsistencies, uh, the quarterback situation as well. Minnesota is three at home. So basically we're saying, hey, this is kind of a coin flip game. Uh, what are you thinking about this game? Are you going to get involved in it? Yeah, I like the total here again. And I'll tell you what, I was, I was set to, to play the Giants. And the problem is, is that, you know, these teams just played on Christmas Eve. At Minnesota, the Vikings were a four-and-a-half-point favorite. The total was 48, by the way, but they were a four-and-a-half-point favorite just three weeks ago, and now it's three. You know, there's no value on the Giants at three. doesn't mean they can't win this game. But again, as a better over the course of time, why do I want to give away a point-and-a-half in just a three-week period of time? And that's what you're doing if you back the Giants here. Again, they could cover the spread. They could win. But you're killing yourself long-term if you look at lines like that, play point spreads more than you do teams. Uh, we saw this game, and what I like here, TC, a little bit more because of that point spread adjustment is under 48 and a half. And we saw a game that was a dead under through three quarters when these teams met three weeks ago. There were 23 points combined through three quarters, and with just over three minutes to go in the fourth quarter, there were 33 points on the board. <laughs> All of a sudden, there's a fluky 18 points scored in three minutes of the game shoots over the total. The Giants want to operate the controlled running game. The Vikings want to move through the air, but the Vikings' defense is better against the run, and the Giants are better against the pass than they are against the run. So the, the two teams' defenses are better against what their opponents' offenses want to do in this game. Uh, the Giants like play action, but the Vikings saw it three weeks ago, so they can shore up some of those defensive play action issues when they prepare for this game. So it, I don't know, it's just that, you know, neither one of these offenses excelled in the first meeting. It was lucky. If you had the over, you lucked out. Um, but the Giants have scored 18.6 points per game the last 36 times they faced a defense that allows at least 61% passing. That sounds counterintuitive, but it's as though they see a weak pass defense and they think, we're going to throw the ball. And they end up throwing the ball more than they should, and it takes them away from their offensive strength, and they don't score as many points as you would normally see this team score. Uh, they're also on a 27 and 12 under run with an average of 40 points combined per game as a dog over the past three seasons. So for all those reasons, I think under 48 and a half is the best way to go in this game. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense unless you, you get one of these fluky, you know, turnover things that, that happened like in the, in the first time around, like you right. said, but it makes sense. All right. Baltimore, Cincinnati, another quarterback. 
situation like you talked about earlier that you have with Baltimore. Definitely no uh, Lamar Jackson. Tyler Huntley did practice a little bit today. He's had the tendonitis in the shoulder, but uh, it, you know, more than likely, we don't know what you're going to get with him or not. And even if he's there, it doesn't matter. Anybody who's who's not named Lamar Jackson, uh, the Baltimore's not going to score. They're averaging 13 points per contest. And then you got Cincinnati, as we know, has been playing some very good footballs of late. Six and a half, seven. That's the number here. It's actually nine and a half and ten. <laughs> well, now you're right. Uh, today you're right. You are you're right, my friend. You. And I was going to say if it was six and a half or seven TC. I mean, just part yeah. of the analysis here is yeah. I would I would probably take that small shot with Cincy, and I still might add them, uh, but I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait, and um, now it's kind of one of those things where I want to see. You know, I got a couple of plays before that game between Saturday and Sunday, and if I'm sitting well, I, I might jump on Cincy as a small play. If I have a bad couple of the first games, then I might just pass it. Um, not a Ravens offensive fan, especially with Lamar's sideline. We've seen him struggle. Huntley knows the offense. There's no doubt about it, but he j- he's just not Lamar. Mm-hmm. And I, I hate having to lay this many points against John Harbaugh. You know, it just feels like you're just stepping into it a little bit. But it's Cincinnati or nothing. I'll just make it quick. Yeah. Um, I might add Cincy by the time that game kicks off, but as of now, I've passed. Right. And again, obviously, I was talking about the opening line there. Nothing but one-way uh, action, like I said, 9.5 and, and, and on the way to 10 for this game. All right. And then Monday night, Scott, here we go again. you got Dallas and Tampa Bay, two, t- two teams that I think are pretty psycho. You don't know what you're going to get <laughs> uh, from the coaching sidelines, just uh, abysmal as well, too. Uh, I don't know. It could be the, the final game of one of the, of the loser, you know, here, uh, their head coaches. Uh, and then again, it could be the final game. Tom Brady, uh, Dallas is a, is a road favorite in this game, uh, barely two and a half, three point favorite. How do you see this game? Yeah, I'm not a Todd Bowles fan. I think he's flown under the radar as far as bad coaching throughout the course of this season. They blame Brady. They blame the receivers. They blame the offense and Bowles sits there flying under the radar. Uh, but he's not giving away anything to the other sideline of Mike McCarthy, who's basically a cheerleader as the head coach of the Cowboys. Yeah. So it's an even coaching match, you know, because neither one is that great. Uh, listen, you got to have time to pass the football when you face the Dallas Cowboys in their pass rush. And we've seen Tampa Bay give Brady time to go through his progressions over the past few games. And he and his receivers are finding common ground and they're not dropping passes. That Cowboys defense is built on speed, and their pass rush is not nearly as effective on grass as it is on artificial turf. Ed Werder threw this together, and I'm going to repeat it because I think it's definitely worth repeating. Dallas is 1-4 straight up on grass, 8 takeaways, 12 sacks. On the artificial stuff, 25 takeaways, 42 sacks, 11-1. They average 2.4 sacks per game on grass, 3.5 sacks per game on turf, Their blitz percentage, though, is 35% on grass because they have to blitz more as opposed to 25% on artificial turf. And then Micah Parsons, the sack master, one and a half sacks in five games on grass. He averages one per game on artificial turf through 12 games. So you get the uh, picture. I think Brady will have time to go through his progressions. And finally, icing on the cake. I don't base anything on trends and angles, but home dogs in the wild card round are 30 and 16 the last 46 times against the spread. Again, I don't play trends and angles just because they sound juicy. It's a nice little icing on the cake. I think the Buccaneers pull the minor upset over Dallas. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. All right, it, it's just hard for me to pull the trigger with Mike McCarthy and Dak Prescott at the helm. No no, thank oh, you. Yeah. No thank you. All right, uh, Scott, appreciate it as always. Uh, great stuff. Good luck to you over the course of the weekend. Go to DocSports.com. Real simple, DocSports.com. And uh, check out Scott's uh, uh, plays there. And uh, we continue... Uh, to have him be part of the best bets. We appreciate that, as always, my friend. And he can always guarantee you'll get some good food pictures from Scott as well, too. (laughs) Absolutely. No doubt. Brother, I appreciate you, man. And we'll talk to you soon. Take care, man. You got it. There he is, Scott Spritzer. All right, I want to thank him for joining us. Pete Gillen as well. Uh, Talk a little college hoops today. And Pete uh, traveling all over the place uh, as part of the CBS Sports Network. And again, he called the UNLV New Mexico game last Saturday night. Uh, he's on the road again coming up uh, this weekend. And uh, also, Sam Gordon for joining us, talking about Derek Carr penning his statement of saying so long and thank you, Oakland and Las Vegas Raiders. 
miss any part of the show, go to the website, check it all out at tcmartinshow.com. Wherever you get your podcasts, boom, you can find it there. So go to the website and uh, you can listen to the past shows, any shows, any of our interviews, featured interviews, everything right there, and our playoff blog up on the homepage as well. All right, for Numbchuck, TC saying so long. Tomorrow, you know where we're going to be at the Westgate Las Vegas. Marco D'Angelo will be joining me. Jay Schrader as well. Best bets. Trevor Match will be joining us for that as well, too. Oh, yeah. Get ready for a little George Clinton, Atomic Dog, Funkadelic Weekend. <laughs>